0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to Software Savvy Tech Talk for non-tech people. You might find yourself with a brilliant app idea, but unsure of the financial aspects of turning that idea into a reality. In today's episode, we hope to clear up key factors that influence costs, and more importantly, how you can optimize your budget without compromising on quality. My name is Alondra Cruz, and today we're joined by Jonathan Sassi and Joseph Jackson. Jonathan and Joseph both have their key role in any project estimates that we do at Matova. They'll be able to explain how that process works and why certain things cost the way they do. Most of our projects have the influence of Jonathan through that research and strategy phase. So I figured, Jonathan, maybe you could give us some insight into how we start scoping what something will look like and how that price will match that scope.
1: Sure. One of the first things we really look at is what do you have? Are you starting from zero or have you already accomplished a certain amount of work in trying to define what your product is? And that has a huge impact on not only the price, but the reliability and the accuracy of someone putting a quote together to build your product. And so that's one thing to always assess is, are you starting from zero with an idea or have you started the process of definition to the point where someone else could start to understand your idea and your vision? So one of the first things we look at is. What have you already created, produced, defined, anything you can do to help create some kind of a scoping reference for us? I use this analogy a lot. I'll probably use it a couple of times today. You wouldn't ask somebody how much a house costs without giving them some idea, where is it? How big is the lot? How many square feet is it? Otherwise you could be anywhere from a hundred thousand dollars to tens of millions of dollars. So trying to understand where you're coming from is going to be critical. When we're looking at that from strategy and from design and definition, That's gonna cover everything from who is this product for? What problems does it solve? What are the business objectives? Who are the people that are gonna be using it and how are they gonna be using it? We go through a lot of the use cases to try and understand how much might this cost to create, certainly from a design perspective, and define it in a way that a development team could actually take it and build it. That's actually something that gets overlooked a lot, especially new customers looking to create a product, or certainly for someone who's never done it before, is not really understanding what are all the ingredients you need to get a properly scoped project. And of course, understanding what your budget is, a product or any kind of web or mobile project or anything else that you're looking at from a custom software perspective could have a wide range of costs. So the better you understand about the budget you have to get where you need to get and how much you've already invested in defining what it needs to be and who it's for, will go a long way to getting not only an accurate quote, but one that fits, that's right size for your budget.
0: Once we have an understanding of all of the strategy that needs to go behind that magnitude that will go into the development process, Joseph, can you give us some insight into the different features that go into the scope and how that will play into how much a project will end up costing?
2: Absolutely. Like what Jonathan said, we have a very similar list of things we look at. Then there are touch points that take place between strategy design and software. So the things we look at independently are pretty straightforward. Like what platforms do you want to be on? The more places you are, the more expensive it is. When I say platform, I mean the web, Android applications, iOS applications. If you want to make an offering in all of those different markets, there's a barrier to entry for each of those. I would say there's probably a minimum. Again, that scales with what you're wanting to do to just enter into those markets, because While the web is kind of free in what you're able to do, and by free I mean there's not a whole lot of restrictions on what you can put on a website in the world, app stores are a lot more guarded and require a lot more care. So the Apple App Store, the Google Play Store, both of those places have a lot of barriers to entry, things that we have to do to make sure that they can operate within those more regulated markets. Beyond that, one of the biggest cost scaling factors that you see in software is availability. How many people do you intend to use this application? Where are they? I can make a website that can be hosted off of a laptop in a closet in your office, and that can be your server. And if you're only using it within the office that you might be able to get away with that, but if you want to provide something on demand across the globe, now we're talking about more advanced cloud architectures that are able to run things on the edge and stuff like that. So that's one of those sliders that we always kind of ask is who's the target audience here, where are they geographically? How many people are there? How long are they going to engage with it? And then I think, lastly, as far as the big buckets of things that we want to look at is what work does the software do? Broadly speaking, I look at on one end of the spectrum. There's content delivery. And this is what most applications are, even very popular like Twitter, for example. That is content generation delivery. People are making things for you to put on your site, and then we are just delivering it to someone else to read or to watch. Those are actually very straightforward, at least to do that. But beyond that, it's Are you doing special calculations for your business? Is there business logic in here that needs to be very fine-tuned? Or are you doing full-on automation, where this is taking entire workflows and processes and trying to handle them much in the way a human would? Humans can adapt to new situations. Software, we have to actually write the software to handle all of those situations. And then, I guess, as an attaché to that, how are people interacting with this? Again, on the light side of this one is just content delivery. They're consuming the information. Sometimes they're providing information and consuming information. But as we move into more complex software, like calculating and automating, for all of these different use cases, you have to, you know, we can write software that can do a whole lot and it look like a terminal. And I think anybody who's worked with computers in the past knows what that's like. I mean, if you go to Lowe's or, any of these retail big box stores, all of their inventory systems or terminals. They don't need to be very super user-friendly or anything like that because they're trained people. But if you're trying to provide a very powerful application to novice users who may not be trained, then it takes a lot more work to prepare for all of the different circumstances and give a human the ability to influence the software in a way to attain an outcome that they would anticipate. I'd say that those are all of the things that we look at. I think a lot of people get caught up in talking about how your cloud architecture is set up and what specific vendors you go with. A lot of that is secondary to exactly what it is you're building and the complexity, where you want this available, how often do you want it available, what kind of uptime do you want, and then what does the software actually do at the end of the day?
0: So it sounds like most of that complexity will be figured out in those beginning stages where you're kind of figuring out the scope. How important is it to have that scope nailed down in the beginning? Is there room for scalability maybe more down the road, and how do you plan for that
2: It really depends. It was very common in decades prior to actually prepare for a huge launch. You would put a lot of work in and the product needed to be perfect on day one. And when on big launch day, everything has to go off without a hitch. And there are still softwares that get launched that are like that, where everything needs to be built and ready to go on day one. It's kind of like the NASA approach. When you're ready to launch the rocket, the rocket better work, you know. But then there's, I think, More so these days, you're seeing more people take more of the SpaceX approach where we're going to blow some rockets up along the way, and it's going to be very public, but it's getting our name out there and getting things going. So the question really has to do, and this is what comes out of strategy for development is, do you have a minimum viable product you're looking to achieve? Are you already a well-established business? Are you replacing something that already is like a core function in your business? These things will affect just how much of this we need to have figured out before we even start. And a lot of these things get easier to figure out the closer to the deadline you get because requirements change, constraints change. It's easy to sit down and whiteboard all of it out. And then once you get into the reality of the situation, realize you need to pivot some. And all of this is going on while the market's ever shifting. So I think it really depends. And this is where we lean on Jonathan and the strategy team a lot to work with our clients to see where are they at? What is their particular Vertical like? What is their niche like? And what makes the most sense when it comes to developing software? Do we take a very bare bones MVP approach that might be a bit more cost effective and agile to develop? Or is this need to be critical? There's a big swap over day. It has to be right on the first go. We can push the deadline out as long as we're valuing the stability. It really just depends. And cost, of course, is affected by these things.
0: Jonathan, did you have anything to add?
1: Yeah, I think understanding that you could work on definition forever. Right to Joseph's point where you're looking at what, what's the objective here? Are we trying to get something to market as soon as possible at the highest quality of possible with a a minimum feature set? There's a goal that needs to be met there. And a lot of times where things can get a little bit sideways is the ideation phase of the project kind of never stops. So there's always a great new idea that comes up um, sometimes every week, sometimes multiple times per week. And so there's also a certain amount of discipline required to know. That there's a time for that. And then if there's timeline or budget constraints that are driving the project, that the entire team has to be aware of those and know when those trade-offs need to be made. And it's a really important part of not only the initial definition phase, but as you go is be able to prioritize those things. If you have a hard date and a hard budget, this has to be done in six months and can't cost more than X dollars. Then to Joseph's point, as you get closer to that. You're having to make some trade offs. Say that some new idea that popped up has to go on the backlog, or we're going to swap it for some other feature. We're going to adjust the budget up or down, or we're going to move the timeline forward or backward. So there's a a set of variables that are kind of always in play. And the team really needs to always be on the same page throughout that process so that there's no surprises.
0: There's always going to be that initial scope in a project. And like you said, depending on variables, going to be pushes and pulls onto what makes that final product, but how do you know when that project or project scope is finally complete and ready to go?
1: So let's say you come to us with a great idea and very little else. At that point, one of the first things and one of the most important outcomes of a strategy session as we work through that definition is to make sure that we know what the goal is. Like I said, you could ideate on something forever. So There's a really important milestone that comes out of that initial conversation, which is what are we really trying to do? And we've touched on it a few times here. If the goal is to get to, let's say, an internal beta, that's very different than saying, I want a global launch of a particular product that I'm taking to market with a big budget. So the difference of those two milestones is really going to define how much time can you spend. And the strategy phase of the project where you want to get where you know what your core personas are you know what they need you know what problems you're trying to solve you have an idea of what your go-to-market plan is even if go-to-market is an internal review of some sort so you get to box it in a little bit there Is, is have you satisfied the definition to the point where you can meet that milestone if the goal is that i've got five people inside my company that i want to use this thing for three months before we go any further knowing what the requirements of those handful of people and what they're going to need to be able to do is really important. You don't need to over-define it for some giant global launch if you're gonna start with a small internal beta. Those are the things that need to come out in the strategy phase is, what are the milestones we're trying to hit? What does the initial deliverable look like? Are we trying to make money? Are we trying to prove out an idea or a theory? Are we challenging some of our persona? There's a bunch of things that are gonna really determine the scope. And that's how you'll know when you're done. Um, Have I defined something well enough to hit this milestone and be successful with the goals of that milestone? then that's where you can draw the line. That's where if you don't know up front, you could either spend way too much time defining something or woefully inefficient amount of time defining something. And that's going to affect your project negatively either way.
0: I think something that I've heard repeatedly is confusion on why certain deliverables may cost more than others. I think, especially considering the assumptions of what it takes to get those created. Joseph, can you provide some insight?
2: Absolutely. I think the biggest thing that people don't understand why it may cost more money is switching platforms. A lot of the times, especially if you have a budget constraint, it is good to use a hybrid platform, which is essentially a coding platform where we can build your application in such a way that it can be deployed to the web, iOS or Android, any mobile app really from the get-go. So if you think that there's a shadow of a possibility that you're gonna want a dedicated Android or iOS app, knowing that up front is important. And the whole preamble here is if they decide not to, it's a little bit more expensive than building it just for the web. But if we build it just for the web because you have really tight budget constraints and then someone opens that site on their phone, it's a kind of foregone conclusion these days that my website's gonna look good on mobile. But in all actuality, it's almost like building an entirely separate app. Jonathan can go into this maybe a little bit from the design perspective, but the normal convention for a desktop is landscape. And when you pivot that to portrait, it just, in our heads, we think that it's very simple, but having the site re-render that layout and move components around requires a custom touch. And so that is often very expensive in, proportionally to what we've done thus far to be able to just pivot that way. There are techniques we can use to get around that and try to make it a little bit more palatable, but that is probably the biggest sticker shock thing. The other thing is, and this is why I tried to point this out earlier, what does your software do? Is it content calculating or automating? If it's content, changing the shape of that content is pretty straightforward. But if it's calculating or automating, there are a lot of deep reaching implications to maybe simple seeming changes. Can i just put a button right here that skips a bunch of steps maybe maybe not we try to do our best to show how all of the logic is very interconnected and interwoven and pulling on one thread a loose thread somewhere is going to cause a cinch somewhere else and so people have a hard time understanding that these two things are related when they may not seem so i think if you're in a content space it's very straightforward but if you're in a calculating or automating space It's not just making one change right here, right now. It's making a change here that has deeper reaching implications that we need to rectify. The thing I try to tell people a lot of the times is in the ideating space, we love to stay on the happy path where if everything worked great, it would do like this, but software doesn't exist in the happy path alone. Users will find incredibly convenient ways to break your application and to get into places where they're not supposed to be. All of the teasing out of that logic is to prevent things like that from happening. And so I would say that the biggest one is switching platform. It's hands down the most expensive thing you can probably do most of the time. And just tweaking some type of calculating or automating workflow for a seemingly negligent, nuanced case, but it has deeper reaching implications.
0: Jonathan, it kind of seemed like ultra transparency in those beginning stages can kind of help mitigate some of those confusions and costs later on. Did you have anything to add to what Joseph just said?
1: Yeah. On one hand, setting everybody's expectations up front, to your point is really important. It's really common that either clients we're working with or certainly others throughout the industry, that someone might approach an agency to help them who's never done this before. So the learning curve is pretty steep. So trying to get as much information and have the team that you're working with provide as much transparency and overall awareness of how things are going to go is really important. For example. When it comes to software, hitting the milestone doesn't mean you're done developing the software. Usually it's just the next phase of software development. And sometimes not everybody understands that. Anything can disrupt a stable software product. So that ongoing development, ongoing maintenance and support is a reality with software that not everybody understands. And that can affect price in a way that not everybody thinks about where they're thinking about how much does it cost to build this? In many ways, that's not a finite answer. You're not necessarily ever totally done developing software in most cases. The other piece is that in that ideation phase, it can be really exciting to think about all the things that you could do. And that's pretty important in building a roadmap, but there also needs to be a proper expectation setting in that phase that says, how much are we going to build in phase one and how much of this stuff moves out into the future? And that can be really difficult. If you've got stakeholders at an organization, or you might be an individual kind of visionary that's trying to take this on your own. You're going to have no shortage of ideas. And some of those won't come out in the first exploration. And the tendency is always going to want to be to kind of squeeze them in. It might not seem much at first, but you start pushing enough of those into your project and then suddenly you realize that your date is moving and your budget is growing. And you were really, were just trying to keep filling in these ideas, not really realize what the implications might be. And so having a team that's communicating that back to you is really important. Setting those expectations up front is really important. And then also understanding that it's pretty rare that you're going to build a software product and then just be done. That's something you have to budget for going forward. And sometimes that can be a surprise for people when they think they're going to take possession of their software on some particular date and it's just going to work in perpetuity for all of their customers. And that in in most cases, that's pretty rare.
0: Do we have any final pieces of advice for anybody that may be in the middle of planning their budget?
2: Yeah, I can jump in here real quick. And because these will follow right with what Jonathan had said, I think one of my biggest pieces of advice is think it all the way through to w- when it's done and it's out there. What does it look like? And then be thinking about what are the ongoing costs that you're going to have. If you are working with any company that is trying to help you build an out an application like this, a great question to always ask is what is my monthly cost going to look like, and how does it scale? Does it scale with the number of users I serve? Does it scale with time? These are gonna be things that they should know and should be able to inform you about. I think that's a good place to help step back and contextualize everything that you've talked about and that you've designed. I think in my mind, that's how you know you've gotten to a good place is if you know what it's supposed to look like six months after a launch, what are you gonna be spending monthly on support, on maintenance and things like that? That'd be one of my biggest pieces of advice. And secondarily, don't be afraid to Ask for an MVP. I think that rapid prototype style development is one of the best, like happy mediums, if you're in the middle of it and you're caught somewhere between, I have all these great ideas and I've thought it all the way through, but I've not really started yet. Well, let's take pieces of that, that are much more budget friendly and just build out units of that. And then while we're doing that, do it in a paint by number way where we know where all the numbers are, but we're just going to paint in the certain things that we're able to, and kind of. Bootstrap an app that way. I think that would be one of the best ways is can you break your, can you break it down to components where if nothing else was built, does this still work and the components that are like that prioritize them because those are going to be much more budget friendly to get out there and see them working. If you're in a space where you're looking for funding, you can encourage more funding. If you're in a place where you have a lot of doubters, it's a place that you can shore up that doubt. That's what I would recommend is find the pieces that don't need all the other things to work, but can work on their own.
1: Yeah, I think the thing I would close with on this, and I'll come back to my house analogy here in a second, is if you're shopping for a custom software partner, an agency to help you through this process that we've been talking about, it is really important that you be transparent about your budget. It might seem counterintuitive. It might seem like a negotiating tactic where you want to hold that back. But in the same way that you wouldn't ask somebody to give you a quote on building you a house without a budget, you wouldn't want to do that with the software either. And it's to your benefit. I'll just quickly explain how. If you know that your budget is $50,000, and you don't articulate that to the people that you're potentially going to work with, their estimation process is going to be purely based on every idea you've been able to put out there so far. And thinking within the context of maybe it's a fully vetted product, maybe it's a big market release, or maybe it's an MVP, we're not going to know those things and if you don't articulate that. And if there's no budget attached to it, there's a good chance that, you know, someone's going to come in wildly off from whatever your expectations are going to be. And that doesn't mean that there's not flexibility in that, but if you tell somebody upfront that you have either a hard budget restriction or a range, you're much more likely to get everyone thinking about how to hit that number. Not necessarily that they're gonna try and figure out some way to spend every dollar you have. It's really more about how do we help create some boundaries around what this product might be and what the abilities are and who it's serving within the price point that's out there. Because you might be surprised, it might be to Joseph's point, prototyping an MVP product it's a just get me something so that I can maybe go raise some money that makes a lot of sense but if you hold that information back there's a good chance that whatever proposal you're going to get is not going to line up with your expectations and then you'll feel somehow defeated about that process. Frankly it's always better to be upfront with that budget ahead of time so that you're more likely to get what you want instead of having a wild miss either high or low.
0: I think it sounds like honestly, it's the best policy. I think that's all the time that we have for today. Thank you so much, Jonathan and Joseph, for taking time to share some of your wisdom. We hope you found our discussion on the cost of the development process helpful. If you have any questions or want to learn more about building an app or custom software, be sure to visit our website and check out our show notes for additional resources and links. Stay tuned for a future episode with tips and tricks on how to secure funding for your project.